Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. If you wonder where the book of 1 Kings is, it's right before 2 Kings. Um, 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to read about 15, 16 different verses out of this chapter and talk to you today about a message that I've simply entitled generosity. Everybody say generosity. Generosity. I love this. Talking about generosity, talking about giving, talking about the power of generosity and what that does in our lives and the impact that it makes in the world around us. And as you're turning to 1 Kings 17, I thought about a story that I heard not too long ago about two men that were shipwrecked on an island that was uninhabited. These two men were shipwrecked on an uninhabited island. And the first man just began to panic. And he ran all over the island screaming, we are going to die. We are going to die. The second man just kind of looked at him strange and said real calmly, we're not going to die. I make $100,000 a week. First man says, we have no food. We've got no water. There is nobody here. We've got no options. We are going to die. The second man looked at him again and said, listen, chill. We're not going to die. I make $100,000 a week. The first man was dumbfounded. He said, what difference does your money make? We have no food. No water. We've got no options. I don't care how much money you make. It's not doing us any good here. We are going to die. The second man said, listen, you don't get this. I said, I make $100,000 a week. I tithe 10% to my church every single week. Believe me, my pastor will come find us. Oh, come on. We're going to talk about generosity today. Now, listen, don't get nervous, okay? Don't get, oh, I knew it. That preacher's trying to get in my wallet. They're all after my money. Listen, we've already passed the offering plate. (laughs) Oh, no. I know sometimes people get a little nervous when we talk about money in church. People get funny when you talk about money. But how many know you can go to Chick-fil-A and they will talk to you about your money before you pull out from that drive-thru? Yes. I want to tell you this. And and as we talk about generosity, you need to kind of double click and zoom out because we don't need to limit generosity to just money. I want to tell you, generosity is so much larger than the money in your pocket. Generosity is a spirit. Can I have a good amen? And it's a spirit that will influence what we do with our money, what we do with our time, what we do with our talent, what we we do with our treasure. Come on, are you with me? You see, generosity is a spirit. And I I want us to see a a, a larger conversation and not get tripped over dollars and cents. Before we read 1 Kings 17, I want you to understand something about the God that you and I serve. Generosity is rooted in the very character and nature of who God is. 
I mean, I want you to consider. Consider the songs that we sang this morning. You know, we were singing about the cross. We received communion. What were we doing? We were remembering the gift, the generosity of a good God. I want you to know God is good, and it's his very nature to give. Can somebody help me preach this morning? God is good, and it's his nature to give. Think about it. God didn't stay up in heaven and leave us here on earth to struggle with this thing called sin. Well, look, I, I had a good plan in the garden, and, I, and you know, y'all messed that up, and well, bless, bless God. Well, I am God. Bless God, you got to figure it out on your own. You know what? He didn't watch from a distance, but he said, I'm going to give heaven's very best. How many of you know God sent his one and only son? It wasn't like he had 12 to choose from. He didn't send a broken down angel and say, well, you know, this is kind of that leftover. I, yeah, give him an assignment. He says, no, I'm going to send you heaven's best. And he gave us Jesus. And God wrapped himself up in the flesh. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he what? You see, generosity is the heartbeat of heaven. And you and I, we serve a, a God whose very nature is to bless. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you are thankful for the blessings of God in your life? How many of you can look in your life and see how God has given you so much? Uh, are you thankful for mercy? Aren't you glad God wasn't stingy with mercy and grace? It wasn't like he was rationing that out because it's in short supply. But for all of my sin, for all of my issues, I'm so thankful that a good and generous God, he gave us Jesus. And we sang about the cross, and that sacrificial gift has changed our eternity forever. You know what? If you and I have been blessed with so many gifts, in fact, I want you to write this down somewhere. Uh, write this down, and I want you to fill in the blank. Write down, because God is generous, I have blank. Because God is generous, I have blank. Because God is generous, I have what? Fill in that blank. How many of you have a relationship in your life because of a generous God? How many of you were able to pay your light bill this month because of a generous God? How many of you woke up this morning and had a choice as to what you would eat for breakfast because of a generous God? Anybody get in a vehicle and drive to church today? You know, our life is marked with the gifts of God. So let me ask you this. If you and I are going to live by God's gifts, then doesn't it make sense to be a giver? If everything we had that we enjoy in life came from this generous God that we serve, then I think you and I have a response to that. Look, look at what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting with verse 2. I want to read to you about a man named Elijah. The Bible says this, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east, hide by the Kareth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. How many thinks that's a pretty good deal right there? Anybody ever ordered pizza, like delivery, and it's, it's food brought to your door? You know there's an app now on the iPhone called Waiter. How many's ever used the Waiter app? Oh, yes. You can order from these different restaurants through Waiter app, and they just have it delivered right there to your doorstep. This is the original Waiter app. 
God tells Elijah, I want you to go to the brook called Kareth. It's right there in the river that enters the Jordan waters. And when you're there, you're going to drink from that brook, and you're going to eat what ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. Verse 5. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside that brook east of the Jordan River. And sure enough, the ravens, everybody say ravens. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Everybody say brook. So do you see how God is taking care of Elijah? God said, Elijah, I want you to go somewhere. Now now watch this. God gave Elijah direction, but he didn't just give him direction. He gave him provision to go along with it. Do you see that? If the Lord is talking to you about going somewhere and doing something, he's going to give you everything you need along the way to accomplish that task. Direction and provision are partnership. It's a divine partnership where God says, here's where I want you to go. Now I'm going to take care of you there. Or in fact, we say it this way, where the Lord guides, he what? He provides. If he's guiding you, he'll provide for you. I love this. But watch what it says, verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up. Mm, 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 mm. For there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Let me give you some context. They're in the middle of a drought. So the brook dries up. There's no rain. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon, for I have instructed a widow. Somebody say widow. I've instructed a widow to feed you there. Here's the first thing, and one of the most important things that we'll talk about today as it relates to generosity. Number one, if you and I are going to walk in this spirit of generosity, we're going to have to trust God as our source. We're going to have to trust him as our source. Because the truth is this. Some of you, your river has dried up. Now, think about it. God spoke to Elijah and says, go to this brook, and I'll feed you with ravens. Pretty cool deal. But there was a day when that brook dried up, and the birds no longer showed up, and God had to move Elijah down the road. He says, if you'll go to the village, then there's a widow in that village who's going to help provide for you. Now, let me ask you this question. What was Elijah's source? Was it the brook? Was it the ravens? Was it even the widow? No, it was God himself. Uh, Let me just translate it into modern times. Your job is not your source. Your boss is not your source. That paycheck is not your source. Your 401K that may feel like a 201K, come on, talk to me, anybody. It's not your source. What do you do when the brook dries up? What do you do when you lose your job? Hey, listen, we're downsizing. The company's having to lay people off. Somebody got a pink slip. You know what? We're kind of restructuring some things. Or, hey, your services are no longer needed. And then you can live in panic and say, wait a second. The water is gone. I no longer see the birds. What am I going to do? And God says, hey, I got you because I'm your source. Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together this morning. You see, this is a tough conversation for a lot of people because we've, we've misplaced the source of our blessing. You know what? God used the ravens. God used the brook. God uses the widow. But ultimately, Elijah's source is God. 
And so you can live free from fear. And when you say, God, you're my source, you say, but Mike, wait a second. I've got no options. My brook has dried up. Listen, here's what I've discovered about a generous God. That when one door in your life closes, God will walk you through the hallway. Some of you are in the hallway right now because the door has shut. God's walking you through the hallway to the next open door. And when that door is open, he'll give you the grace you need to walk into that room. And I promise you that room you're standing in will be better than the room that you just left. Come on, can I have a better amen? Because God is good and it's his nature to give. God is our source. You know, I heard a story recently about an older lady who uh, was managing the family farm. It had been in her, her, her family for generations, but the farm was on decline and it was about to go under. And all she had left on that farm was one mama pig and 10 little piglets. That's all she had left. Well, she was faithful to her local church, and the, the church was going through a building program. And so the pastor was talking about the vision of the church and the future, and she felt stirred in her heart to make a commitment, a financial commitment to help build that building. And her plan was to raise these little pigs, and when they were full grown, then she'd sell those pigs off and use that money to give to the building program. And so she makes that commitment in her heart one Sunday. Well, she goes home after church only to find that that one mama pig that she had had died. And there were these 10 little piglets, and she had no idea what she was going to do. When that mama pig died, she thought, all my hopes have died with that little pig. This farm will go under. She said, Lord, I'm not looking for excuses. I'm not looking for an easy way out. I'm not trying to avoid my commitment. I'm trusting you. You see the love that I have for you and my commitment to the local church. You're going to help me make good on my promise. Well, guess what? She also had a dog that had just given birth to 10 little puppies. Okay? Well, one day, that mama dog rolled over on its side, and here come these 10 little piglets, and they're looking to nurse. And sure enough, that mama dog let those 10 piglets nurse. And so she said it was the strangest thing. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. Running across this farm was that mama dog, those 10 little puppies, and 10 little piglets. (laughs) See, it was crazy. Well, word got out that these piglets were nursing from this mama dog. And so there was a, a magazine that heard of this story and wanted to write an article on it. So they call the lady who's the, the, the owner of this farm, and she gives them permission. She sells the story to that magazine for $100,000. Listen, who was that lady's source? It wasn't that pig. Come on, somebody. And it wasn't the contract with some magazine. It was God himself. Let me tell you this. If you and I can trust God as our source, then we can trust him with our resource. God said, Elijah, the brook is dried up. Some of you, the door is closed. And you're thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to tell you what. God has a widow woman in a village that's waiting on you. Look at what it says, verse 10. So Elijah, he goes to Zarephath. And as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? Now, let me stop right here. When I read this again this week, I kind of chuckled because I thought, come on, Elijah, you've been fed by ravens. Man, you've, I mean, God's bringing food to your doorstep. And here this woman is doing all the work. She's the one picking up sticks. And you're thirsty. 
can you bring me a little cup of water? Sure enough, as she was going to get it, he called to her, oh, and you know what? Bring me a bite of bread too. Come on, Elijah, for real. You're going to pick on this woman. She's picking up sticks. You're in the middle of a drought. She's got nothing, and you're thirsty, and oh, by the way, Bing, bring me a bite of bread. How many has ever, you've been, you, you, you've, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. You're at the table and, and, and you, you finished your, your first helping, but you're, you're, you're still hungry. And so you're ready. Or no, no, let's say that your glass of sweet tea is empty and you're just waiting. And finally somebody gets up and you say, hey, while you was up, can you, can you feel, while you're up, you know, here, this widow woman, she's picking up sticks and she's doing all this work. Hey, while you're working, can you give me a cup of water? Oh, and a little bite of bread too. You know what she says, verse 12, but she says, I swear by the Lord, your God. Somebody say your God. Your God. Now notice she didn't say my God. You know what? Because she wasn't Hebrew. She was from she was Sidonian. She's living in this village next to Sidon. So she doesn't know the Lord Jehovah. Je- uh, the Lord provides. She doesn't know Jehovah Jireh. She knows Elijah as the man of God. And in fact, if you read First Kings, many times throughout the scripture, the Bible refers to Elijah as the man of God. Fellas, how many of you would like for your wife to refer to you as the man of God? I told Rachel, when I walk in at the end of the day, you call me the man of God. How many knows that's not working out too well for me? I swear to you by the Lord your God, I don't have. I want you to underline that. Very important. I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. Some of you, you you feel like you're at rock bottom right now. You, you, You feel like you don't have a single thing. I've only got just a little bit of oil in the bottom of this jug. I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. The second thing, number two, when it comes to generosity, I want you to consider this. Generosity starts with what you have, not what you don't. Generosity starts with what you have. Now now notice, she was preoccupied with everything she didn't have. When Elijah asked for a cup of water and a little bite of bread, her first response was, I don't have. Can I tell you, lack always looks at what it doesn't have. There's a poverty mentality that is drawn to everything you don't have. I want to encourage you today. You have more than what you realize. Sometimes we underestimate what we do have within our stewardship. She's in the middle of this drought. She's down to her last meal. She's gathering sticks so she can prepare her final meal between her and her son. And then she plans on, hey, I'm getting out of here. I got no other hope. And yet here, Elijah says, can you bake me a little bread? Can can you give me a cup of water? And her first thought is, I don't have. Listen, some of you are here today and you think, I just don't have. Listen. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Can I say that again? Because sometimes I think, and everybody, I I think everybody within the sound of my voice, you feel a passion inside of you to make a difference. But a lot of times what we see is lack of resource, lack of opportunity. We just don't have. Listen, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. There's something that you do have. 
that he wants to use to be a part of his plan. I mean, consider this. Remember in the New Testament, that widow that only had two copper coins? Remember the widow's two mites? Come on, nod your head if you, if you remember that. Jesus is watching people give in the offering plate, you know, as it goes by, and he sees this widow who gave her last two pennies, and he says to his disciples, she's given more. She's given way more. I mean, there may be wealthy people dropping in stuff in the bucket, but she, in her poverty, has given everything she has. Listen, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Remember in John chapter 6, when there were 5,000 men, there was a multitude that was following Jesus, and the disciples said, look, send them home. And he said, no, we're not sending them home. We're going to feed everybody in the house. How are they going to feed people? Well, there was one boy with a sack lunch. And what was in that brown bag? It was two fish and five loaves of bread. Come on, I'm going to tell you, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Come on now, I feel like I'm, I'm a little more excited about this than you are. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a misnomer out there that says we have to have a lot in order to make a great difference. No, you don't. Whatever's within your stewardship, if you would just trust that to the Lord Almighty and you put it in his hand. You see, listen, that boy had two fish and five loaves, and two plus five equals seven, right? Come on, I'm public school education right here. Two plus five is? Okay, but when you put two plus five in the hands of Jesus, what does it equal? It equals 5,000, right? There were 5,000 men that day. Oh, and if there's 5,000 men, there's probably 10,000 women. Come on, talk to me. And if there's 10,000 women, there's probably 20,000 kids running around on that hillside. So 2 plus 5 equals 5,000 with a remainder of 12. Remember, there were 12 baskets left over. You see, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Consider David when he faced Goliath, when he stepped onto the battlefield that day. Here, Goliath was a man of war, and all David had was five smooth stones with a rock in his pocket and God in his heart. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Remember Moses, whenever God speaks to Moses and he's trembling there and God's telling him, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, I can't talk. I don't have, I don't have. And God looked at him and said, Moses, what's in your hand? He said, well, all I got is this stick. No, 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 no. That's not just a stick. That's the rod of God. And if you'll trust me with that stick, I'll turn it into the rod that parts the Red Sea. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that this morning. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. So quit telling God everything you don't have. If you just trust God with what you do have. You see, listen, she said, Elijah, I don't have. But wait a second. I do have a little bit of flour. I do have a little bit of oil. And I'm thinking, okay, well, God, why would you send Elijah to pick on this poor widow woman? She's lost everything. In fact, consider, she said, I'm preparing a meal for me and my son, and then we'll die. That tells me she was young, that her son wasn't old enough to provide for his mom and their family. It tells me that at one time she must have been a person who had resource, but now that time had passed. And here she is in a desperate situation. She's down, she's depressed, she's discouraged, and she's suicidal. I'm going to cook this final meal, and then we're done. I'm like, God, why would you pick on that woman? You know what God showed me? That whole thing was not for Elijah's benefit. It was for hers. You see, Elijah already knew the provision of God. Remember the ravens? Remember the brook? 
God already knew, I mean, Elijah already knew that God would provide for his needs. You see, this wasn't about Elijah. This was about this widow woman. She says, I swear by the Lord, your God. Well, she didn't know God yet. But this was God's way of saying, hey, I'm coming to you to help you. And don't look at what you lack. Look at what you have and start there. Can you say amen? You see, I believe if you look in the right place, you'll find what you need to be generous. Look at what it says, verse 13. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Mm, Let me stop right there. Because I think that when we talk about finances, when we talk about resource and money, sometimes there's this element of fear that jumps on us. He encouraged her. He said, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Somebody say me first. Oh, that's important. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Go ahead and do what you planned, but set aside something for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends the rain and the crops grow again. Can I have a good amen? Here's the third thing I want you to see about generosity. First of all, number one, trust God as your source. Number two, generosity starts with what you have, not what you don't. But check this out. A God-first life will eliminate fear. He says, bake a little bread for me first. You see, the fear with giving is this. If I give today, I won't have what I need tomorrow. This is a picture. When Elijah said, bake a little bread for me first, it's a picture of the principle of the tithe. Everybody say tithe. Now, you know what I mean when I say tithe? Tithe literally means a tenth. It means the first 10%. They say, Mike, I knew it. You're about to drop the bomb on us. You're about to make us feel guilty trying to get in my wallet. Listen, I don't need your money. God's not after your money. Can I tell you, God's not up in heaven panicking, saying, oh, if they don't give any offering today, I'm going to shut the lights out in heaven. Y'all want to see the Big Dipper tonight, don't you? (laughs) Please give. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't need our money. Giving is not for his benefit. It's for ours. Can I have a better amen? Elijah says, but go ahead and, and give it to me first. And I thought about this. When we put God first in our finances, then the rest is blessed. Notice the challenge was this to the widow. If you'll bake some bread for me first, then what you have left will always be enough. And the truth is, sometimes we, we feel like we come up on the short end of finances. And my question is, are we putting God first? Because if we give him the first fruits of all of our increase, then the rest is blessed. Now, I know there may be some theologians in here that say, well, Mike, you're, you're talking about the tithe, but that's Old Testament. I don't live under the Old Testament anymore. I'm a New Testament Christian. I just believe Jesus did away with all of that stuff. And, man, the tithe is an outdated principle. Can I tell you what the giving principle was in the New Testament? It wasn't 10%. It was everything. Oh, hey, I need to go back to the Old Testament. (laughs) Lord, give me back to that Old Testament. (laughs) You know, if you read your Bible, you'll study in Genesis 14 that the tithe was instituted before the law of Moses was ever given. 
Then if you read in the book of Leviticus, you'll see how the tithe was reinforced under the law of Moses. Then if you read in Matthew chapter 23, you'll see how Jesus sanctioned the tithe even after the law because he was the fulfillment of it. And listen, the whole idea about the tithe, that old 10%, it's a percentage. It's not an amount, it's a percentage. So that means everybody gets to participate, whether you got a little or whether you got a lot. Come on, can I have a better amen? And so if we put God first, then it eliminates fear. I don't have to be afraid. You say, Mike, why 10%? That 10%. Some people struggle giving God 10%. Listen, I know people who have no problem giving MasterCard or Visa 19, 20, 21%. But then this 10%, you see, when we put God first in our finances, you know what we're saying? Lord, I'm in covenant relationship with you. And I'm putting you first in my resources. And so I'm trusting that what I have left will always be enough. But when you don't honor God with your finances, then you're saying, Lord, I think you're a good God, but I got it from here. I don't need your help when it comes to my resource. How many of you, you want God to not just be printed on your money, but you want God's blessing over your money. You know, when, when I was in college, and I've been taught the principle of the tithe my entire life. My parents taught me this as a boy. Uh, my youth pastor, Pastor Dino, who's the founding pastor of this church, he reinforced this when I was a teenager. When I was in college and this church was just getting started, I was uh, playing basketball, so I was away from Baton Rouge. And based on our, our, our practice schedule, our game schedule, there were many months I never went to church. I just, schedule-wise, I, I wasn't able to go to church. But I had a little on-campus job while I was playing sports. And so I remember that very first paycheck I got was $27. And so you know what I did? I took out that checkbook, and I wrote a check. $2.70, and I sent it in the mail to my pastor, Dino Rizzo. And so the first four years of this church, while I was in college, I would send my little $2.70. Come on, somebody. I would send it. But why? Because I'm saying, Lord, I'm putting you first. Do you know when I graduated from college and Rachel and I got married, and when you're young and in love, you're broke like no joke. Hey, love, it can make a marriage go round, but it doesn't pay the light bills. And so we're getting married, and, man, what are we going to do for the honeymoon? I'm thinking, man, I, I got no money. What do you mean? I don't know. Port Island, Motel 6. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How many know, fellas, it don't make a difference, does it? <laughs> care. Red Roof Inn. I don't care. <laughs> That's so wrong. But there was a man in the church, this was years ago, this was 21 years ago, a man in the church saw, you know, we were working and serving at the church and trying to make ends meet. So he flew us first class, first class to the Bahamas for our honeymoon. I'm like, Lord, where did that come from? And you know what God brought me back to? Hey, four years ago, you made a decision. That $2.70, come on now, if you put me first, then I have a way of blessing the rest. You know, I've got two daughters, and one day they'll get married many, many, many years from now, about 30, 40 years from now, they'll get married. But I've told my girls, listen, I'm not going to give my daughters to a man that doesn't tithe because if he doesn't tithe, he's robbing God and his finances are cursed. Why would I give my daughters to somebody whose finances aren't blessed? 
Didn't Jesus say in Luke 6, he said, give. And what happens? It'll come back to you. But it doesn't return to you the way that it left you. It comes back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and what? And running over. How many of you, you want to live a life that's good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over? You see, the spirit of generosity says, Lord, I trust you and I put you first, so I have nothing to fear. Now, let me finish this story. Let me ask the band to come up. Look what it says. Finally, verse 15. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many, many, many days. There was always enough. Somebody say always enough. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Here's the final thought. I want you to know this. When you and I obey God, we will always have enough. When we obey God, when God speaks to you about being generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, and with your touch, when you obey God, you will always have enough. You see, listen, this widow, she had a choice to make. She could either die in her selfishness or she could live in her giving. Mm, well, I feel the Holy Ghost. The choice is ours, church. We can either die in our selfishness or we can live in our giving. You see, the message of hope for the future. It found this woman in the middle of her suffering. And because she trusted God as her source, because she learned to redirect her focus. Listen, I don't, I don't have much, but it doesn't take much. God, I put you first. Then every single day after day after day, she went to that pantry day after day. And she always found something in the cabinet. How many of you ever opened your refrigerator and said, we got nothing to eat up in here? Some of you said that this weekend. Attitude got all messed up. How many of you get a little angry when you're hungry? Yeah, me too. We got nothing here. Somebody needs to run Walmart, right? No, no. somebody needs to go to Costco. Let's get this thing in bulk, man. We, I'm hungry, man. We get some snacks up in here. We need some bread. We need some... Need, need some PBJ, man. We need some, need some cereal in the pantry, something. Guess what? This woman never had to make another Walmart run again. Every time she, every time she shows up to the, to the pantry, man, look, there's my crackling oat brand right there. Come on, how many eat crackling oat brand? Y'all know? Man, fiber, I need that. Thank God for it. Man, I never ran out of milk. Nobody, somebody get a gallon of milk. Nope, everything. In fact, the scripture says she had enough oil and flour. What does it take to make a roux? Well, oil. Look, hey, I think this was a good Cajun lady. And she had gumbo in her house for the rest of her days. Can I have a good amen? You see, the, 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 the psalmist David said it like this. Oh, I'm having too much fun. I need to pray over you. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you. But the psalmist David said it like this in Psalm 37, verse 25. He said, I once was young, but now I'm old. Come on now, young and old, this is for everybody. I once was young, 
but now I'm old. And guess what? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. Listen, you don't have to beg for bread. God's going to provide it. You don't have to walk in lack. God says there will always be enough. Boy, I remember growing up as a kid in the trailer parks of southeast Missouri. I lived in a small town called Fredericktown, Missouri. You've never heard of Fredericktown? You've never been to Fredericktown? You don't want to go to Fredericktown. In fact, I tell you this, we have more people, just about, we have just about as many people in this one service right now than the entire town that I grew up in. And I live rural route two, box B16. I'll never forget it. Trailer park. Come on, you can take the boy out of the trailer, but you can't take the trailer out the boy. Rule Route 2, Box B-16 in Fredericktown, Missouri. And here I am now, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I'm thinking, Lord, I once was young. I'm not as young as I used to be. But do you know that every season and every moment and every experience of my life, God has been faithful. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.